What's up, everyone? I'm Joe Pompliano, and this is The Joe Pomp Show. It's only Tuesday, but we have a lot to talk about already. First up, I want to talk about Major League Soccer. They recently announced a $500 million agreement to install their 30th team, an expansion franchise, in San Diego, California. We'll zoom out and talk about the economics of the league, and then we'll zoom back in and talk about this deal specifically, whether I think it's a good deal, a bad deal, or somewhere in between. And then secondly, we're going to be talking about the PGA Championship. I mean, how could you not? Brooks Kepka won his fifth major championship this past weekend, but the story of the weekend was Michael Block, a club pro from California that won $288,000 and could be making much more than that. So let's get right to it. All right, the first thing I want to talk about today is Major League Soccer. They announced a $500 million agreement with Egyptian billionaire Mohamed Mansour to bring a team to San Diego, California. Now, this will be MLS's 30th team overall, and they'll begin playing 2025 at the new 35,000-seat Snapdragon Stadium in San Diego. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar with Snapdragon Stadium, it's on San Diego State SDSU's campus. Their football team uses it today, as well as other athletic teams at their institution. It's brand new. It opened in 2022. 35,000 seats, outdoor stadium, cost $310 million to construct. And the San Diego wave of the National Women's Soccer League, the NWSL, also play there. They sell out games, and by all accounts, it appears to be a great stadium. So the interesting part about this deal is that Mohamed Mansour is the majority owner of this franchise. I've been told it was a little bit over 50%. And the other majority partner of this equity partnership is, I'm not going to say this correctly, but the Sichuan Band of the Khmer Nation. It's an Indian tribe that has lived in San Diego for 12,000 years. And the reason why this is important is because they're putting up a lot of money in this deal alongside the Egyptian billionaire, Mohamed Mansour. Another owner of this group is Manny Machado, the all-star third baseman for Major League Baseball's San Diego Padres. Now, this MLS team doesn't currently have a crest or colors, but the team CEO, Tom Penn, was a former executive with LAFC, said that the name of the franchise will either be FC San Diego or San Diego FC. Now, the details are important for sure. We all knew expansion was coming when it comes to Major League Soccer. The league has announced 12 new expansion teams since 2015 alone. So over the last eight years, 12 new teams have been added. And Commissioner Don Garber has routinely said that their goal is to eventually reach 30 to 32 teams. And San Diego seems like a logical choice too. The area is a hotbed for youth soccer. The San Diego wave of the NWSL smashed the league's attendance record with 32,000 fans at Snapdragon Stadium last September. And the Indian tribe that I mentioned before has been working with MLS for years to convert profits from its casino and hotel business into equity ownership of a San Diego-based expansion team. So the easiest way to think about this is that they have land in San Diego, obviously, but they also run a casino and a hotel business. They're turning up millions of dollars in annual profits, and they had been working with MLS to find a partner for them to go in on a team, on an expansion team, and pay this massive fee. And that partner is Mohamed Mansour. He's an Egyptian billionaire living in London. He serves as chairman of their family business, the Mansour Group. It's a family-owned global conglomerate with 60,000 employees and a presence in more than 100 countries and total revenues exceeding $7.5 billion. Obviously, a huge, 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 huge business. He has a, a vested interest in soccer. He's looked at plenty of other clubs and expansion teams throughout the years, but he settles down in San Diego to finance this deal along with the Indian tribe. From my standpoint, like, look, all the details are cool. They're important. How the team plays, who they get, whatever. Awesome. But the interesting part of this announcement is the economics behind MLS's approach to expansion. 
For example, a $500 million expansion fee instantly makes San Diego's MLS team more valuable than Premier League clubs like Newcastle United, who's worth $440 million, Leeds United, who's worth $380 million, Aston Villa, who's worth $370 million, and Crystal Palace, who's worth $335 million. And keep in mind, San Diego does not have its own stadium, and they've never even played a competitive match. They don't even have a roster right now, and they're already worth $500 million according to the expansion fee that they paid to Major League Soccer. And when you look at Major League Soccer specifically, $500 million is still a lot. Sportico put out this interesting chart that tracks every single expansion fee. And look, this is not unique. Everyone has access to this. I've talked about this in the past. But the visual is fascinating to me because it's straight up hockey stick growth. San Diego's $500 million expansion fee is 2.5 times more than the $200 million fee St. Louis SC paid last year. It's five times more than the $100 million fee New York City FC paid in 2015. And it's 50 times more than the $10 million fee Toronto FC paid in 2007. Obviously, the expansion fees are going to grow as the league continues to grow. But $500 million is another stratosphere. It's obviously a record for MLS. And the previous record, I think it was Charlotte at 325 or 350 a couple of years ago. So it's drastically above what anyone else has paid for an expansion team in the league today. And when you add in the fact that San Diego will have to spend another $100 million plus on a brand new training complex, many people are questioning the $500 million expansion fee. The easiest way to think about it is this. Not only does San Diego's MLS team not have their own stadium, not only do they not have a training complex, not only do they not have a roster, they are paying to lease it from San Diego State University. Interesting story here. I actually read, I think it was in The Athletic, they said that San Diego State University tried to get equity in the team in exchange for a lease and allowing the team to play games in their stadium. That would have been amazing. That would have been something we talked about, but they obviously declined it. The other interesting caveat here is that 68% of MLS teams, 19 out of 28, lost money last year. Now, I just want to make sure everyone heard that correctly. 68% of MLS teams, 19 of the 28 that competed last year, lost money on an annual basis, lost money. They turned up a negative operating income. And furthermore, the league's $2.5 billion national media rights deal with Apple that everyone was so pumped up about and thought it was amazing and Apple, Apple, Apple. Great, I get it. It's a big number. But when you break it down on an annual basis, let's do that. It's a 10-year deal. So $250 million annually divided by now we're going to have 30 teams. That's $8 million annually per team, $8 million. And the worst part is, that that fee is not going to increase for at least another nine years until the Apple deal is up. Maybe they get a new deal after that. Maybe it goes higher. We don't know. But for the next nine years, that deal is locked in. It's not changing. And there's been rumors about this, and I don't want to go too deep into it because I don't know for sure. But many people are saying that Apple is not super pumped up about the deal so far, that the viewership hasn't been amazing. They're not getting as many signups as they initially thought they might. And some of this might change, right? The World Cup is obviously coming here in a few years. MLS is going to continue to get better and better and better players as they can pay them more money. And maybe the viewership picks up for Apple and they get more people and they're happy and they sign a bigger deal in nine years. But right now, it's not looking so hot. And look, San Diego's not alone. LAFC was the first billion-dollar club valued by Forbes earlier this year. LA Galaxy is worth $925 million. Atlanta United is worth $850 million. They sell out all their games. Tremendous atmosphere there. Awesome to see that in Atlanta. Number four on the list is New York City FC worth $800 million. And number five is DC United worth $700 million. And to give you a little bit of context about like the club-specific financials, on an operating income basis, right? So we're just talking about basically profit and loss at this point. LAFC led the league in 2022, led the league with $8 million in operating income, $8 million. 
virtually every other team was somewhere between like negative or one to four million. There was a couple outliers, obviously, LAFC, 8 million, DC United, 8 million, Atlanta United, 6 million. Every other team either made 4 million or less or lost money. So the biggest loser, Chicago Fire, lost $18 million last year. Toronto FC, $15 million. Vancouver Whitecaps, $15 million. New York City FC, $12 million. Montreal, $12 million. Houston, $10 million. Dallas, $8 million. Columbus, $8 million. Philadelphia, $8 million. And the list goes on and on and on. Even David Beckham's club, Miami, they lost $5 million last year. $5 million. So I don't want to pick on specific teams. I don't want to pick on the league because I actually do think that ultimately this is going to be worth more money, right? And that doesn't make it a bad investment, but I would argue it also doesn't make it a good or a great investment. And there's just a few specific reasons why the valuations are this way today. And I want to explain them and walk you through them so everyone has context and kind of like where these numbers are actually coming from. First off, MLS teams trade at a ridiculous multiple. So the way these valuations work is they're simply taking the revenue that each team is bringing in and multiplying it by a figure to get an equity valuation. It's the simplest way to do it. They do it across all industries. Look, we could talk about EBITDA. We could talk about operating income, whatever. The way that Forbes and all these other organizations are doing it, they're just multiplying it off revenue. And the way that it works is obviously there's a geographic component to this. There's a real estate component to this. There's kind of what's on the team's balance sheet. But ultimately, MLS teams are trading at a much higher revenue multiple than any other league. And it's just like any other business that you would come upon. The reason for that is simple. It's because they think that it's going to be growing faster and longer than the other leagues. So for example, MLS teams currently trade at a 10 times revenue multiple. So that means if they're making $100 million in revenue, they're worth a billion dollars. Obviously, most of the teams aren't doing that, but just for simple math's sake, that's the way it works. At 10 times revenue multiple, that's significantly higher than the NBA at 8.4 times, the NFL at 7.6 times, the MLB at 7.4 times, and the NHL at five times. Again, this is because investors see the league is growing, they think there's greater financial upside, and they're willing to pay a premium for that. Do we think that's going to happen? I don't know, right? We'll see. Time will tell. But ultimately, that is why they're doing it. The second reason why these valuations are so high, most of you would probably agree with this and already understand this, MLS is a closed system. So unlike the Premier League, which sends its bottom three teams down to the second tier division every year, each MLS team is guaranteed their spot for the foreseeable future, regardless of performance. That's the important part there, right? No one's getting kicked out. It's a closed league. This creates scarcity in the asset. But more importantly, it guarantees revenue streams and puts a financial cap on long-term potential costs like player salaries. If you look at the Premier League today, there's basically six teams, the big six clubs in the Premier League are worth head and shoulders above anyone else. They're all like billion-dollar clubs, whatever. The guys you would know, right? Manchester United, all those people. But everyone else below that is lower because they don't sign the players, they don't spend the money, they don't do all this stuff. And there is a risk to them getting relegated and getting kicked out of the broadcast fees and everything else associated with that. That is a real risk that the MLS does not have. The other part of this is that player salaries have gotten out of control, absolutely out of control. These teams are getting bought up by, like, if you look at PSG or Manchester City or any of these other clubs, right? They're getting bought up by these conglomerates that don't care about spending money. They're willing to invest whatever it takes to win. And that's exactly what they're doing. In the MLS, that cannot happen. The salaries will not get out of control. It's just like every other North American major sports league where they will be able to temper those costs and the long-term potential costs like player salaries will stay under a financial cap. That's very, very, very important from a financial perspective. And then thirdly, like, look who the investor list is today. Obviously, there's a bunch of billionaires that are buying teams. Everyone's interested in it. But then if you even just look at the athletes and the celebrities that are interested in this league, it's out of control. David Beckham, obviously. Patrick Mahomes is a partner and a part owner of uh, Sporting Kansas City. 
LAFC has a freaking all-star roster. Will Farrell, Magic Johnson, Mia Hamm, Nomar Garcia Parra. Nashville is the exact same way. Reese Witherspoon, Derrick Henry, Giannis and his brothers. Kevin Durant has part ownership stake in the Philadelphia Union. Dwayne Wade owns part of Real Salt Lake. Seattle, same way. Russell Wilson, Sierra, Ken Griffey Jr., Macklemore, Steve Nash, the uh, basketball player, is an owner in the Vancouver Whitecaps. And the list goes on and on and on. James Harden, Manny Machado, Matthew McConaughey, Mark Ingram, right? Like, it doesn't end. And the easiest way to think about this is that, like, there's a lot, a lot of positives. They obviously have this new media rights deal with Apple, which I would argue, like, isn't as high as many people made it out to be, and and we'll see what happens there. But it's with Apple, right? It's this huge streaming deal. If it works out and everything's kind of in one place on a streaming service, that could be the blueprint of what happens in the NFL or other sports leagues. Secondly, the World Cup is coming. We know that soccer is the biggest sport in the world. There's obviously massive interest internationally, and they're hoping that that can come to America. The easiest way for this to happen in the U.S., is if the team valuations continue to grow, media rights grow, sponsorship revenue grows, all this stuff, and the teams have more money to spend, that's how you're able to get more talent, right? It's not just convincing players to come here for the last couple of years of their career, like David Beckham or Gareth Bale or any of these people, right? And saying, hey, look, you're going to reach a totally new audience. No, it's reaching younger players and paying them more money than they can get in Europe or other places like that. And MLS has a long way to go, but the US is the world's biggest economy and it can certainly happen. Look, you may laugh at this now and say, in, in 2023, there's no way you're going to be paying players what they could get in Europe. But a decade from now, two decades from now, that is a possibility. And it doesn't mean that it has to bankrupt the MLS teams to get there. It just means that they need to be making enough money to be able to do this. So at the end of the day, we will see what happens. $500 million is a lot of money for an expansion franchise. But like I said in the intro, I don't necessarily think that makes it a bad deal. I think they will make money on this. I think it will eventually be a billion-dollar franchise. But the question is, does it take five years, 10 years, 15 years, or 20 years? Because ultimately what you're judging your return on is what you could do with that capital somewhere else, whether it's the stock market, private equity, venture capital investments, whatever it is. Can you get a better return elsewhere than an MLS team? You may not have as much fun, but these guys care about making money. And I'm sure that's what they're interested in at the end of the day. So we'll see what happens. All right, everyone, quick interruption from today's episode to talk about the sponsor of this podcast, ButcherBox. I've been ordering from ButcherBox for a few years now, and it's the single best solution I've found to save time while guaranteeing the quality of your food. Everyone probably knows what ButcherBox is, but they deliver 100% grass-fed, grass-finished beef, free-range organic chicken, humanely raised pork, and wild-caught seafood directly to your doorstep. It's literally that easy, and it tastes incredible. So ditch the butcher lines today and guarantee the freshness of your meat with ButcherBox. And here's the best part. If you sign up today, ButcherBox is offering all of my listeners two pounds of ground beef for free every time they order over the next year. Let me say that again. Two pounds of ground beef every time you order over the next year, you get for free. So go to butcherbox.com slash Joe Pomp and use code Joe Pomp, all caps, Joe Pomp at checkout to get that discount today. All right. The last topic I want to talk about today is the PGA Championship. Now, this was a two-part story. First off, Brooks Kepka minus nine. He outlasted Scotty Scheffler, Victor Hovland, and a bunch of other people to win his fifth major championship. That's a huge deal. It's the first time that Liv has a major champion. He obviously left Liv, signed a $100 million deal to go there, and he's back on the PGA's map, winning his fifth major championship. This is actually his third time winning in New York alone. And it's a fascinating story, right? Like Brooks is back. We saw him in full swing. I don't know how many of you have actually seen those episodes yet, but Brooks looked broken. I'm just saying, he looked absolutely 
broken. He said he didn't know if he could compete with these guys on a weekly basis. He looked sad. He looked down. And his decision to go to live made a lot of sense to me. As a guy that had injuries, he didn't know if he'd ever get back to the top of his game. He was getting older, and he saw a $100 million check to go to live, play less, obviously, and, and so forth. And he took it. And to be honest, like I didn't know if Brooks would ever get back to this point, but he's healthy and he is all the way back. He was the runner-up at the Masters earlier this year, and now he wins the second major championship of the calendar year. But the story really was Michael Block. I'm sure most of you have probably heard of this story by now. He is a club pro at a public golf course in California. And this isn't like a super rich public golf course that is only public in name and so forth. No, this is a legitimate public golf course. Not a bad course, nice course, but it's a public golf course. And he teaches lessons there, but he's a good player. I don't want to overstate it. A lot of people online are like, oh, it's less like Cinderella story. The guy's a club pro. It's Tin Cup-esque, whatever. He's a good player. He's been, you know, playing in professional tournaments. He's played in the PGA Championship before, and he's a very good player. He says he actually hasn't taken on a new client in five years, I think he said. He charges $150 for 60-minute lessons. He'll take you out on the course, whatever it is, but he goes there. He's like a legitimate teacher. He's a PGA pro, and he goes there, and he teaches, and he shows you how to play golf. But the 46-year-old absolutely lit it up at the PGA Championship. I think he was tied for ninth after the third round. Yeah, third round. And he ended up finishing tied for 15th. That not only gives him an automatic invite to next year's PGA Championship, but it gives him a $288,000 check to take home. Absolutely massive money. Congratulations to him. Awesome, awesome, awesome. He aced one of the holes. He made a hole in one and it was absolutely bonkers. Roy was hugging him. He didn't even know if it had happened. I heard him saying in an interview that it was his first hole-in-one in a professional tournament. He had never done that before, and he didn't even know that it went in. He thought it went on the green. He was like, oh, Rory's hugging me. That's kind of weird. Like, it was just a good shot, not a great shot. And then he was like, wait, it went in, it went in, it went in, and it did. It was awesome, amazing moment, so cool. Brooks even walking off the green was like, hey, I heard you're buying drinks tonight. Obviously, you know, he, he made a hole-in-one, and it's a joke. So it was very cool to see. But I think, like, this might just be the start for Michael Block. It sounds crazy. He's 46 years old. Like, Maybe it dies down, maybe it doesn't, but things are already kind of in motion. If you looked at his Instagram, when I logged in and I checked his account, I think I checked on on Friday, he had less than 10,000 followers. I think it was like eight or something like that, 8,000 followers. He's up over 150,000 now. So he's gained about 150,000 followers over the weekend. Obviously tremendous. He has this deal with TaylorMade. There's this rumor going around that he signed a deal with TaylorMade on Saturday. I don't think that's true. I haven't actually confirmed that or heard that from anyone. I was under the impression that he had basically a, a club pro deal with Taylor uh, made, which is they give you some free gear and you market their products whenever you play and stuff like that. Maybe there was like a small exchange of cash, but not likely. And let me tell you, TaylorMade is pumping the shit out of his name right now. If you go to TaylorMade's website, he's literally the, the homepage. He's the homepage. They're calling it a block party. So this is a company that has deals with Tiger Woods, Colin Morikawa, Scotty Scheffler, all these people, Rory, everyone. And on the homepage, after the PGA Championship, it's Michael freaking Block. Absolutely insane. He's been invited to a couple different tournaments now. Afterwards, he's going to play in the Charles Schwab Challenge this weekend. That comes with an $8.7 million purse. If he makes the cut there, he's going to get $20,000 immediately. Then he also got invited to play in the RBC Canadian Open. Another $8.7 million purse makes the cut. Another twenty dollars there. So absolutely fascinating what he's able to do here. 
My guess is that he's going to end up making probably close to like a million dollars this year. If you just think about what he's going to be able to do from sponsorships, the winnings he already has on the PGA, plus other tournaments he gets invited to, it could end up being a lot more than that. And the fascinating part about this is like he, he, he has mentioned this. He said, look, I don't think anyone on this property loves golf more than me. The guy loves the game. He just wants to play golf, wants to have a good time. He knows that he can hang with some of these guys. He's played with pros before. He's a, he's, I, I want to say he said he was losing by like, he gets two to three strokes each time the play or something like that. So he knows, you know, he can't do it on a consistent basis. But when he's hot and he's playing good, he can play. The fascinating part about this to me is that there's 29,000 PGA professionals out there. 20 of them are playing in the field in the PGA Championship. He is the only one that lights it up. And this wasn't a weak field. 99 out of the top 100 players in the World Golf Rankings played in the PGA Championship this year. And freaking Michael Block is up there lighting it up. Ace and holes, finishing tied for 15th. Absolutely amazing. He's going to head home after these next couple tournaments, and I'm sure he will get a hero's welcome. I'm so happy for him. It's awesome to see. It's so cool how sports can do this kind of stuff to people where just overnight, this guy's life is going to change. Literally overnight. Even on Saturday, people didn't expect this, right? He came out, that hole in one absolutely lit up the internet, and his life has changed overnight. I'm pumped up for him and his family and the amount of money that he's going to be making from this. I hope it continues forever. I hope we see him on the Champions Tour. That would be awesome. I mean, he's he's 46, so he's not a young guy. He's going to be there in a couple of years. And he's played in a, a few. I think he's played in like 22 or 24 PGA Tour events over the course of his career. He's only made the cut three or four times. I think his even par showing at the PGA Championship for the first couple of days was like the best he had done in a PGA tournament yet. And he does it at the at the PGA Championship. So absolutely amazing. Again, the stories, Brooks Kepka, Michael Block. And like, to be honest, it was just a great tournament overall. We had bad weather. It was in Rochester, New York. Players were screaming and yelling and throwing clubs and cursing. And it was just fun. Like, I remember waking up, I think it was on Saturday, and Jordan Spieth had hit his first shot into the porta potties. <laughs> I was just dying. I'm like... This is absolutely incredible. The weather is terrible. There's guys sharing. I think it was the 14th and the first when you share the tee box. And they were coming off there when people were walking on. And you just see them like drenched in rain. They got all their rain gear on. They just look absolutely miserable. And the players coming on are like, oh my God, that's what I have to look forward to. So it was fun. There was good weather, bad weather. Great tournament. Brooks Kepka is back. And Michael Block is a story of his own. All right, everyone, that's it for today. Please do me a favor and make sure to subscribe to this podcast. There's a bunch of you when I look at the stats that are listening to the podcast every single time I post one, but you're not actually subscribing. Subscribe to the podcast so it gets automatically downloaded in your feed and I have a better understanding on the analytics side of who is actually listening to this podcast and where they're located, what sports they like, and so forth. Thanks again, and we'll talk later this week.